Good morning. The reading today is from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither the people... Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, so this morning we are looking at an absolute classic passage of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, coming, it comes straight after the Beatitudes, the opening section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And in this passage, Jesus describes his disciples as salt and light. And what he's saying is that salt and light, when used correctly, have uh, a positive impact on the world around it. Uh, salt produces flavour and light enables people to see in the dark. And so what he's saying is, you too, you disciples, can have a positive impact on the community around you. Fe fe the famous um, Spanish chef, I don't know if you've heard of him, I'm starting to get into cooking, I don't know a lot of chefs, but this chef is uh, Ferran Adria. Uh, he's, uh, you know was considered one of the best in the world. And he says, salt is the only product that changes cuisine. That's a big call, the only product that changes cuisine. And uh, in an article in The Guardian, it said, salt is so powerful because, as Ferran Adria and all seasoned cooks know, sodium chloride not only adds saltiness, which human beings innately adore because we need it to live, but it also skews the overall flavour to positive effect. It makes food sing by suppressing bitterness, enhancing sweet and savoury, and turning up the volume on the aromas. But how on earth does it all do this? Jesus is saying you can be just like this on the community around you. You can bring in a pot, amazing aroma, cause the whole world to sing. But he also uses the salt image as a warning. He says, if you're not having an impact on the community around you, on the people around you, then you, you are like salt that has lost its saltiness. You're not being your true self, and in fact, you're useless. And you should be thrown out. Like dust on the ground that gets walked on. And this sounds harsh. He's actually saying God... He's saying to his disciples, God will judge you if you are not having an impact. If you don't make an impact on the community around you, you're as good as useless salt that gets thrown out and trampled underfoot. Often when Jesus is talking about judgment, he uses the language of being thrown. In Matthew 7 verse 19, he says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. In, uh, in uh, Matthew 18, verse 9, he says, And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out 
and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. It's pretty heavy stuff. And, and if you keep reading the Sermon on the Mount, toward the end, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So this salt image that he's using, this metaphor, is to his, to his disciples, he's saying, yeah, you, you have a danger that you'll just be like, you'll talk the talk, but you won't walk the walk. You know, you don't want to be a performative disciple that just, you know, like espouses all these values but doesn't live them out. Don't be like that. So in this salt metaphor, there's a big warning. But also with the light metaphor, he says, also it doesn't make any sense if you won't have an impact. You'll be like a globe, like a light that's under a bowl. I mean, what's the point of having a light that's under a bowl? It makes no sense. So it doesn't make any sense for there to be a disciple who doesn't have an impact on the world around them. Shine your light. Well, what do we mean by impact? What do we mean by have an impact? We should be careful to get this right because Christians often mistakenly think the kind of impact and influence they should have is to exercise power in the culture. This is also what the Romans thought. Exercising power is what it's all about. But remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns all this upside down. He actually um, he takes the very thing that everyone thinks and reverses it. Remember how Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he, um, he says that God lifts up the poor in spirit and those who are mourning, those who are meek, people hungering and thirsting for righteousness, people showing mercy and compassion, people who have an unwavering focus on God and, and, have a, and want to be pure in heart, the peacemakers. God lifts up those people... And this is the exact opposite of exercising power in the culture, in that Roman Empire sense. So us Christians got to be careful not to think the wrong way. And he says, take God's unexpected and upside-down way of seeing reality and shine that light into the people around you. You are the light of the world. In the Bible and in the um, Old Testament especially, light is connected to knowledge and truth, revelation, love. In Daniel 12 verse 3 it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who, are, who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And the prophet Isaiah, if you read Isaiah, uses light all the time as an image for Israel telling the Gentile nations about God. Isaiah 51 verse 4, Listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation. 
Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. A light to the nations. And Isaiah 60, verse 3, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you can be confident that he's aware of the way Isaiah uses the language of light. He's talking about the mission of his disciples to spread the gospel in word and in action. He wants them to have an impact on the darkness with the hope and the love of the good news of the kingdom. He wants his people to do good works so that the wider community can see their good works and give glory to God the Father. As the Apostle Peter explains, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. When Christians do good works, they bear witness, they make an impact, they are salt and light. And this gives rise to a little bit of a dilemma, which is easy to solve, but we should think about it. Here, Jesus tells his disciples, it seems, in this salt and light language, to do things publicly so that people would notice you. But then, you don't have to read very much further on in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, actually, when you're praying or when you're fasting or when you're giving to the poor, do so in private so no one can see you. What, what is Jesus saying here? Should we be public or should we be private? Don't show off, says Jesus. Don't draw attention to yourselves. No, what matters actually really for Jesus is your intent. If our intent is to be noticed and congratulated by everyone around us for how holy we are and how spiritual we are, if we are what we now call virtue signalling as Christians, we're virtue signalling our Christian virtues, then we have a massive problem. Jesus does not want us to do that. But what he wants is that our good works to be done publicly out of obedience to Christ and, and done in a humble way to bring glory to God. And we can see that Jesus himself did the ultimate act of shining light to the world, the ultimate act of shining light into the darkness when he was executed on a, on a Roman cross out in public, it actually literally turned dark in the middle of the day. And his divine light shone so brightly that even the dead bodies came out of the ground and resurrected. So for us to be salt and light, we engage in God's mission to the world. We are to have what some people call a missional a missional impact. And what does this look like for us at Mary Creek? It's to be a church where everyone is welcome. It's to minister to the local community in all its vibrant colours and variation. And it's especially to do this to the people who are poor in spirit, who are mourning, who are grieving, who are experiencing marginalisation or rejection. The tendency for us as middle-class Christians is always to want to be in a church or a community group or a youth group where everyone's just like us, where everyone has similar interests and 
has the same kind of level of education and looks similar and is easy to talk to and fun and interesting. But that's what you call having no impact, if that's all we want. That's being salt that has lost its saltiness, right? Or a light that's covered under a bowl, if, we, if that's all we want. Jesus warns us about that. It makes no sense to be like that. That's not being a disciple, says Jesus. No, we've got to be a church that has an open table where everyone is welcome to hear about Jesus and to participate in worship if they want to. Our youth group should be filled with all kinds of kids, with all their special needs and personalities and abilities and you should be encouraged that that is what the Inner North Youth Group is like. We launched, Tom launched on Friday night and it was really fun and there was lots of people in this room there and there were heaps of new kids from all different ages and different churches and different levels of confidence, different stages of faith, some with no faith, some with intense faith and that's all great. Everyone is welcome. So I just encourage you to have to think about your community group. Beck's been think, you know, encouraging us to think about community groups. Do a bit of an audit. How well have you welcomed people of all different backgrounds and abilities and stages of faith? Use that as a bit of a barometer of your level of impact. Speaking of level of impact, perhaps you hear all this and you feel burdened. You feel a bit stressed. You're worried about Jesus' warning to not be uh, salt that has lost its saltiness. The warning of not having an impact on the community around you. The question some of us might have is, how much impact is enough impact? It's a good question because we don't want to misunderstand and think that what we've got to do is earn um, God's love through good works. This is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying there's a certain level you've got to reach in your impact and once you cross that line, then you've done enough of an impact. You've had enough of an impact and I'll call you salty at that point. It's not like that. Because the, the, the reality is the work of the kingdom is endless and we're limited and broken and we make mistakes. And Jesus loves us and he's not a slave driver who wants to see us burnt out. He's given us an incredible privilege to join him in his mission to the world. And all he wants is for us to have a right posture towards the community around us and towards him. In our prayers, we should be praying to have an impact. In our relationships, we should keep our eyes open for the poor in spirit, for those who are mourning or experiencing marginalisation or who are longing for community and seeking God. In other words, just be faithful in our lives and as we did earlier, confess when we feel like we've fallen short and know that God loves us and he's a God of grace. Don't beat ourselves up, but always just have one eye on the warning to not be Christians who hide away and do nothing. Trust in God. Now, there's many natural questions you might have, and I, I wonder if perhaps the biggest question you might have the problem you might have with the salt and the light metaphor is this question, which is that the church has a problematic reputation 
regarding its attempts to have an impact on the world. What do you do with the fact that most people in the world would rather, especially in Australia, would rather the church just keep to itself? That, you know, people say we're a secular country and we have secular spaces and we have religious spaces and religious people are okay. It's okay for them to be religious, but they should just keep to themselves and not interfere and cause further harm. Yes, I feel that feeling sometimes. And I feel persuaded sometimes. What is the church doing, being interfering? Just last week, we were talking about the injustices of colonisation. And the church has its fingerprints all over that. It's not hard to think of a string of examples of mistakes the church has made in history. In the name of mission, John Dixon um, has a whole book, Australian... um, Scholar, he has a whole book called Bullies and Saints, and in that he lists the bullies of Christianity and the saints as well, and he shows that the church has actually done both in history. And what about recent examples of well-intended Christians going to developing countries and actually causing more harm than good? I remember once I met this woman who was... um, employed by the ACC, which is like the denominational head body for, the Pente- for independent Pentecostal churches in Australia. And her whole job, she told me, was to go <laughs> into Pentecostal churches and persuade them to stop doing their, what she called, wild, wild west aid work, where they would just set up their own orphanage or um, aid and development projects in developing countries without any understanding of what they're doing. And in the end, they were causing more harm than good. They didn't want to actually listen or be accountable to any mission organisation or aid, aid organisation. Their ego as churches got in the way, to be completely cynical. And she said this, ch- churches want to... F- the Christians want to feel good, so they want to be there with the poor and they want to think that they're doing the right thing, but actually often they're causing harm. This is the white saviour complex. Anyway, we can think of these examples and many others and we can hear the voices in our secular culture telling Christians to stay silent and we can start to agree and comply. What do we do with this? Well, first of all, we, we don't pretend that there weren't mistakes. Yes, there were mistakes. Massive, sometimes terrible, ugly, evil in the past. But we must not seek, stop seeking to do good in the name of Jesus. And we've got to also remember that while many Christians stuffed up, there are many, many others who have changed the world and made it a better place, radically changed the world in the name of Jesus. Throughout history, there have been thousands, millions of faithful and wisely godly disciples who have treaded lightly on their community, gone out in humility and brought healing and the love and grace of Jesus wherever they've gone. I want to show you an example of someone who um, Joe and I hung out with last weekend, who made an epic difference to the world. And 
I want to show you this example, not to say you've got to be like him exactly, but to show you that, wow, God can make a huge difference through us if we are faithful. So last weekend, Joe and I had over for afternoon tea um, a, a local um, missionary couple called uh, Tony and Liz Ronaldo. And um, I'd met them on the Scripture Union camp that I was on in January, and Tony um, has ha- worked in a space of um, climate justice and so wanted to meet Joe. So anyway, we arranged this afternoon tea. And in the 1980s and 1990s, they were um, missionaries in Niger. And they raised their whole family during that period of the, the, the really terrible famine in the 1980s. Why did they go there? Why did they bring their children to Niger in the 80s during the famine? Because they were trying to be faithful to God. They were responding to his calling. They were serving the people, the poor of Niger. And Tony is an agriculturist. And in his years in Niger, during the famine, he saw the local farmers just failing, trying to grow trees, trying to grow crops, and it all just dying in the desert. The land was barren. Nothing would grow. And I'm going to cut a long story short with what Tony did, but he, one day, he was driving his car through the desert and he had to let the air out of his tyres to get through the sand. So, and he just prayed a prayer out to God saying, I don't know what to do because for years he'd been trying things and he couldn't get crops to grow. And then he noticed this little shoot coming out of the ground. And because he's an expert, he realised that shoot was actually a tree shoot coming out from under the ground. And he said, wow, there's a tree shoot. And and he'd noticed those kind of little shoots all through the desert in in Niger. And using his knowledge of how trees work, he he said, well, if there are tree shoots everywhere, we can get them to grow. And he worked out this method, which is now called farmer-managed... I want to get this right. Farmer-managed natural regeneration, FMNR, where basically... They take little tree shoots and they prune them to enable them to grow. And then they quickly grow these indigenous trees. And after years of trying different things, suddenly he was able to get these trees to grow and he started teaching the farmers in, around him how to do this. Because when the trees grew in the desert, then the whole ecosystem changed. Animals came back, um, the water tables changed and it was easy to access water. The other crops would grow, food would grow more easily. Even the weather patterns started to change. Not, not, and, and also the trees, they absorbed the carbon dioxide, side in, so carbon dioxide. So in the bigger picture, this was having a, an incredible impact on the climate for the whole world. He taught this method and it spread really quickly through the whole country. And they have been able to use satellite images to show that through that period in the 80s and 90s, 200 million trees grew in Niger, right? 200 million trees. And this was a dramatic turnaround for the country. Now, he now works for World Vision, and World Vision International have a commitment to grow forests in 1 billion hectares, right? He has won awards all across the world. There's a documentary called The Forest Maker on SBS. You can watch it. You can look it up, up now and go home and watch it. There's a TED Talk he did in Sydney last year. The world looks at this simple missionary who lives in Blackburn, works at World Vision, and says, this man has changed the world. And if you ever go um, 
to Africa, which my friend did actually with his family um, in November last year. And um, he was talking to some people in Kenya and they said, oh, you're from Melbourne. Do you know Tony Ronaldo? And my friend actually said, yes, I actually do know Tony Ronaldo. And they said, they, you know, fell over. It was like saying, I know Elvis, you know. He is famous over there. He's an incredible example of being salt and light. And I'm not saying I'm going to be like that or you're going to be at that level. And I don't think he ever expected either. He's a very humble and quiet man. But my point is, for every Christian who has caused harm, there are others who have done radical, amazing things to change the world. And Jesus knows that his disciples will get it wrong and at times be useless. The Sermon on the Mount is full of warnings. Don't do this. Don't fall into this trap. Don't do this. All we can do is have a humble posture. Know that we are worshipping a God of grace and love. He doesn't need us to be perfect or error-free. He can use our mistakes and turn them into beauty. I urge you to resist the push to stay silent and hidden as a Christian. Let your light shine at school, at work, with your friends. Have an impact to be bold and also humble at the same time, trusting in God and being prayerful. To be salt and light is to be what God has made us to be. It's to be your true self. Let me pray for you all. Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for examples like Tony Ronaldo. But we pray that in our own small way, you can use us to make an impact on our friends, on our family, on our community. We pray that we can be faithful, to have that right posture, that we can be used to draw close to the people who are suffering and on the margins, and that we can be a bright shining light, bringing the good news of Jesus to the world around us. Amen.